Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now, please enjoy our sermon at Church on the Hill. This morning, we have a cool opportunity. We are starting a new series, and we're kicking off this new series called New Life. And the whole reason why we're doing this is because we just celebrated Easter. And Easter is the greatest, it's the greatest thing that we get to celebrate. It's the event that changed human history more than anything else. And what takes place is Jesus is killed in front of all of these people He is put in the tomb, and then he resurrects, and he comes back to life. And if you want the definition of new life, coming back to life has to be the definition of new life. But all throughout Scripture, especially in the Gospels, before we even get to that moment, Jesus says over and over, I'm offering you new life. I'm trying to give you new life. And so my question that I want us to wrestle with, and the thing that I want us to ask this morning is, what is new life? And how do we get it? And we're going to spend four weeks looking at different things to go, okay, what is new life and how do we get it? But I want to show you some of the verses of why we're doing this. In John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, this is at the end of the gospel of John. And John says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So again, we find this life in his name. If we go to Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the the Father, we too may live a new life. And it's so awesome that we get to use that verse and talk about this morning right after we watch Reese and Riley do that exact same thing where we go, okay, here's what's taking place. You are dying to your old ways. You're burying the old life. You're going underwater as symbolism to say you're dying to that old life and you're coming up to this new life. And that's what we saw them talk about a little bit on that video is the experience of this new life. And that's what we're going to be digging into is what is this new life and how do we get it? But the truth is, for a lot of us, we've been around Christians that aren't exactly the greatest example of new life, right? No? None of you guys? We're all too good for that? Yeah, of course. Well, I have, so I'll just wear it for the whole team, okay? But I've had times where, as a Christian, I'm not exactly the great example of the new life. I don't have this full of joy, full of better perspective, full of great attitude going about inside of me. And so we want to ask this question, how do we live a life where we do have that new life? Where people see something different, it doesn't look like everything else. And I think part of this that we have to look at is a lot of times when we run into Christians that don't necessarily seem like they're full of new life, a lot of the struggle is it's it's the Pharisee life that snuck in. And what do I mean by the Pharisee life? For those of you that don't know, The Pharisees were the religious elite of the time. They were the pastors, the ones leading the synagogue, the ones that were in charge, right? And the way that they did it was they essentially just tried to follow every single rule in the Old Testament. 
And not only did they follow all of the rules, they made more rules. So they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules, and the whole goal was just to live perfectly according to the rules. They had to do everything right. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, one of the groups of people that Jesus struggles with the absolute most is the Pharisees. Why? Because he says to them, you do everything right on the outside. On the outside, you are squeaky clean, but your inside, your heart is a mess. You have a messed up heart. You have messed up motives. Your heart is not in the right place. You don't have that relationship. Therefore, your whole life boils down to just trying to live these rules, and you never succeed at it. And you try to control this Christian life by living all these rules, but you don't succeed. And so really what you have is you just have this burden of falling short over and over and over again because you've made it about what you don't do, not about what I've called you to. And there's no life in that. And for some of us, I know we fall into the same boat because it's easier sometimes to try to have control and say, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means that I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. Strange. There's no life in that. A whole bunch of things that we don't do, and we don't have a great new life because of it. And so what Jesus is saying is, I had never called you to just stop sinning. I never called you to just quit doing things. That's never been the main goal. It's never been the point. The whole reason why I have asked you to step away from that life is so that you would be set free to experience the new life that I have for you. I have something far greater for you, but to experience that, you're going to have to let go of this. But the letting go of this has never been the main point or the main goal. The main goal is to be set free to experience that new life. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to take a look at people that have experienced the new life in Scripture and then kind of use it as a case study to go, okay, how did they get there? And the first one that we're going to talk about is Peter. And the reason why is because in the account of John's gospel, he gives us the longest kind of the account of Jesus post-resurrection. So Acts tells us that Jesus was on the face of the earth in physical form after the resurrection for 40 days. And in John, we get one of the most significant interactions with Jesus in those 40 days, which is funny, I understand, that I'm saying significant interaction, because I think any interaction with someone that was killed in front of hundreds of people, died on a cross, and then came back to life becomes a pretty significant interaction, right? Like if you're walking down your street and you're like, oh, there's the guy they killed, what? <laughs> like that, that right there, just seeing him is like, well, okay, that's a significant interaction. But the one that seems like it probably is, I don't know, the, the longest account we get is with Peter. And so we're going to take a look at this, the story of what took place with Peter and Jesus after the resurrection and go, okay, how did Peter experience this new life? Before we get there, let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for this series. And Lord, I thank you so much for recent Riley's decision to get baptized and just the transformation that you've done in their lives, Lord. Lord, um, it's incredible how much you love us, and we're so thankful that you offer us this life that you do, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would use this morning as a stepping stone for us to move into that new life more than we currently are. 
Lord, wherever we stand, that we would take a step forward to experience the life that you really have for us and not to look at following you as just something where we choose not to do things. But Lord, that we step out into something specific and amazing that you have created for us, Lord. Brother, I thank you so much for the people in this room. I ask that you would use my words to be able to connect and hopefully people have people come closer in their relationship with you or develop a relationship with you, Lord. Amen. All right. So before we jump into the story of Peter, before we get moving on all of that, I need a bold volunteer to come up here with me on stage. Just one person. Just, but I do need one. So someone will have to... Perfect. Come on up. Okay, there we go. Either one of you. All right, now, here's either one. You guys... Perfect. It's no one, and now it's you who wants to come. Perfect. Thanks for joining me. Okay, I have a question for you. It's the question you don't want to hear right when you come up. Do you have your wallet? Perfect. That's all I need. Okay, so here's... Right? You guys are all like, oh, that poor sucker. Uh, Here's all I need. We're going to pretend that this is an airport, because obviously, right? It makes sense. Go with me. So here's what's happening. You just came through the San Jose security line. I'm TSA, and you have just gotten to the TSA security little kiosk, right? And you're about to go through all the machines, and they're going to make you take your shoes off. Okay, so here's what happens. You come forward, and I'm going to ask you for what? What am I going to ask for? Boarding pass and ID, right? Okay, so secret, it's not an airport. So you don't need a boarding pass, but can I have your ID? Perfect. Look at you, so helpful. Okay, Robert? Yep, Michael Robertson Burns, correct? It's your picture, right? Okay, so this is you. Okay, perfect, you get to get on your flight. I appreciate it. That is all I need. Thank you so much. See that? You all thought I was going to take his money. I didn't, okay? I looked what was in there. It wasn't worth it. Um, (laughs) So, here's the question I have for you. Why is our ID so important? Why is it that to be able to get a loan, why is it to be able to go on a flight, why is it to be able to buy certain things, why is it to be able to do all these different things... We have to provide sometimes two forms of ID, but at least one form of ID. It's because it proves who we are, right? Our identity is literally who we are. The Webster's definition of identity is this. It is the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. It is who you are. Your identity proves this is who you are. And the reason why I bring this up, and I have an incredible volunteer to help me, so thank you. The reason why I bring this up is because this morning what we're going to talk about is our identity. Because our identity is the foundation of the life we're going to experience. Our identity is so incredibly important. It's the foundation for how we're going to live our life. Because how we see ourselves, who we are, is what dictates the life that we're going to live. Let me explain where this is coming from. In John chapter 21, we get that incredible interaction with Jesus and Peter. So Jesus has resurrected. He has come to this new life. He has conquered death. He is walking around on land. 
are on the earth in physical form, and he has this interaction with Peter. But before we get there, I have to explain what's taken place before. Some of you guys may have heard this before, some of you may not, so it's going to be a refresher or whatever, but I'm going to clue you in on what's taking place. Jesus and his disciples, his apostles, were all together celebrating Passover right before Jesus was betrayed and then sent off to be crucified. And Jesus is having this incredibly important meal with his closest followers. And towards the end of the night, he looks at all of them and he says, every single one of you is going to deny me. You're all going to scatter and you're going to deny me. And Peter pipes up as the loudest one, and he says, Jesus, even if every single one of these other guys denies you, I will never deny you. And then Peter takes it even farther, and he says, Jesus, if I have to die with you, I will die, but I will never deny you. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And then we get this scene where Jesus is betrayed and he's taken away and Peter's in the courtyard. And as Peter's sitting in the courtyard, he gets asked three different times, aren't you one of the Jesus people? Aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you with him? And each time he says, no, no, no. The last one he says, I don't know this man. And as he says the words, I do not know this man, he hears the rooster crow. And when the rooster crows, he breaks down and he starts to weep because he remembers Jesus' words And he remembers that less than 24 hours ago, he literally just said, even if I have to die, I will never deny you. And less than 24 hours later, he's sitting there having denied him. And so now we get this incredible scene where Jesus has appeared to the disciples previously, but Peter, and Peter, if you guys don't know this, Peter was previously Simon, and Simon was a fisherman. And so we have Peter, and he decides he's going to go out fishing, and he's going to take the disciples. And I'm not saying this is something that is supposed to be pulled out of the text, because I don't know if it is or not, but it does stand out to me that Simon Peter, same person, the original thing that he did was he was a fisherman. But he quit being a fisherman to follow Jesus, and then all of a sudden, once Jesus dies, he is back out fishing. Does that mean he's gone back to his, his old identity? I'm not going to make that claim. I'm just saying it's in the text and it stands out to me. But what we get is this incredible story we're going to talk about. So Peter is out in the boat with the other disciples. They fished all night long. And then all of a sudden at daybreak, they have a man show up on the shoreline. And the man on the shoreline says, hey, have you guys caught any fish? Do you have any fish? And they say, no, we do not have any fish. And he says to them, then take your nets and throw it off the right side of the boat. And they throw the nets off the right side of the boat. And when they pull it up, they're like, Yahtzee, it is completely full of fish. So many fish that they can't even haul it in. And if you don't know this, this is a mere image of what took place when Jesus called Peter originally. So Simon's first call, he's out in the boat. He doesn't catch anything. Jesus says, throw the nets off the other side, and he hauls in all these fish so much that they can't even pull it into the boat. And now we're getting the mirror image of the same thing, but now it's post-resurrection, and it's towards the end of Jesus' time on earth. And what happens is they try to pull the fish into the boat, and they realize we can't even pull the fish into the boat. And what happens at that moment is John is in the boat with them, and he looks and he goes, Jesus. 
Like he realizes at that moment, that's Jesus on the shoreline. And when he says it, it clicks for Peter, and Peter takes his stuff. He dives in the water. It says he was about 100 yards offshore. He dives in the water, and he swims in. The rest of the boat comes in, and the disciples come in, and they come in with the fish in the boat, and now they're standing there with Jesus on the shoreline, and because Jesus is just classy like that, he's made them breakfast. I don't know, it's a, it's a good move. So he's sitting there, and they eat breakfast. And then after breakfast, we get this incredible interaction. And Jesus takes Peter, and some of you guys may know this story, some of you may not. But he takes Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And then he says again, Peter, do you love me? And by this one, Peter's hurt because Jesus asked him three different times. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. But what's taking place here is so much bigger than just what we're seeing. Because here's what's going on. Jesus is letting Peter know, Peter, I know clearly that you denied me three times. I know what you did. Peter, you made me a promise. You said that you would go to death before you ever denied me. And that same night, you denied me three times. And so Jesus asked him this question, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? To put it in direct contrast with the denial of three times. And the reason why this is so incredible is because what is taking place here is this. Jesus is saying, Peter, do you remember who you are? Peter, do you have clarity on your identity? And what he's saying is, Peter, I understand that you just denied me three times. I understand that you fell short. But guess what, Peter? You are not just a denying fisherman whose name is Simon. You are who I have told you you are. And he told him who he was in Matthew verse 16, verse 18. Jesus is talking to Peter and he says this. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter, you're the rock on which I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That is who you are. You are not the denying fisherman that I'm disappointed in because you failed me. Your identity is not the person that just fell short, that is now just a fisherman that just denied me. That is not who you are. Your identity is who I say you are, and you are the rock in which I will build my church. What's taking place here is Jesus is reestablishing the call that he has on Peter's life. He's reestablishing his identity, and he's saying, Peter, I understand that you fell short, but that will not be what defines you. You falling short is not your identity. Because, Peter, if you are a Christ follower, then the only thing that gets you to be your identity is who I say you are. And I have told you, you are Peter, and you are the rock on which I will build my church. And because Peter understands this, and because Jesus cements his identity, Peter goes on and he lives this life as the rock of the church that Jesus builds it on. And he has this incredible story, and it does amazing things. Because of who 
he is. And the thing that I want to point out for every single one of us that is so incredibly important is if you are a Christ follower in the room, then your story and your past and the things that you've done are not your identity. That is not what defines you. That is your story. And God very well may use your story. He may do a lot with your story, but it is not what defines who you are because that is just the story. And the only thing that gets to define you, if you are a follower of Christ, is Christ himself. Christ alone defines your identity in who you are, not your past, because you gave that up. That was dead, and you were raised to a new life, and the new life is based on him, not on you. So your identity has to be what Christ says you are, not what your past says you are. And there's no way we're going to live this new life or experience this new life that Christ has for us, keeping the same identity and being held on to this defining who we are. So what we have to do is transition to go, I am who Christ says I am, and that alone is what defines me. My past is just my story. And God very well may use that story in a lot of different ways, but it is not the identity of who you are. And Peter had to understand this, and Jesus had to drill this into him to say, Peter, you are not the denying fisherman that's a disappointment. You are the rock on which I will build my church. Now go live into that and be that person. And so as we look at Peter's life, if that is the case study, then what that does for us is it begs this question, What is your identity? What is it that defines you? Who are you? And if you're a Christ follower in this room, then we all have the same base level identity, and that is this. You are a forgiven and accepted, loved child of God. You are forgiven. You are cherished. You are accepted. You're a part of the family, and you're loved. That is the foundational level of who you are if you have given your life to Christ because you gave up the old life and you have taken on the new life. But beyond that, there's more specifics. There's something more that Jesus is calling you to. There's something more God has planned for you. And just like for Peter, he says, Peter, you are the rock on which I'm building my church. And then Peter lives into that life. And that's how he experiences the new life that God has for So my question for you is, what's the specifics of your identity? Who are you? And it's not your past. That's the story that got you to where you are. Your identity is who God has told you you are. It's what he's called you to. It's the new life that he's offering you. But the question is, what is that for you? Because if we don't know our identity in Christ, then how are we going to experience that new life? Let me try to help bring some clarity to this. I want to tell you guys personally, for me, what this looks like. For me, I wrote it like this. I am a forgiven and loved child of God whose identity is established in him. I'm a child who knows the most impactful part of my life is my sole connection to God, so that must be the priority. I am a husband and father who is called to display Christ to my family and friends And I am a relational leader who needs to invest in the lives of others. That's how God's wired me. 
It's not something I've earned. It's not something that I did that I've now, I'm supposed to be. It's how God made me to be. And I don't think I have a full picture of all that God's called me to or exactly how he's made me. But I'm pretty darn confident that that part is set. And I've been living into that for a while. And what I'm going to ask for you guys right now is this. I want to give you space and time to just ask God, God, what is my identity in you? Because the only way we're ever going to define who we are through Christ is by asking him. And so I'm going to give you guys a little bit of space and time right now in the room. And what I'm going to ask you to do is this. Just pray along with me. I'm going to lead you through a prayer, and then I'm going to give you about three minutes of silence to just sit and to listen to God and say, God, tell me who I am. Beyond just being forgiven and loved, what is the specifics of who you've called me to be? So if you want to pray with me, you can pray this same prayer. If you want to pray something different, go for it. And then we're just going to sit for three minutes in silence as the piano plays. And what I want you to do is if any verse, any song lyric, any thought comes to your mind, write it down. Here we go. God, as I sit in silence before you, I am asking that you show me my identity. Make it clear who I am in your eyes. Lord, please show me my new life and my new identity.
All right. I know it wasn't enough time. <laughs> Take more later. But what I want to tell you is this. I know for me personally is I have been, essentially, it's been revealed or I've been able to figure out I'm a relational leader and I'm called to invest in the lives of others. What's happened is I've lived into that and I've figured out this is who I am, is it has been absolutely astonishing to me the things that I've been able to be a part of. The things that I've been able to see and do and get to be a part of and get to influence is something that far exceeds the expectation of what I ever thought would have come. And there's people in this room that allow me to have an influence or give me credit for being a significant part of some of these transitions in their life. And I look at it and I go, that is so much greater than anything I've ever deserved. And it's such a gift. And my hope and my desire is that every single one of you would understand that. That you would experience that type of life, that you would understand this Christian life is not just about not doing some things. It's about letting go of those things in order to be set free to experience this incredible life that God has for you. And so much more than just my hope for you, the thing that amazes me is that God has this new life in store for each and every single individual, and it's specific. It's specific to who you are and how you're wired and how you're made. And if you can step into that, the new life is such an amazing experience and it's far greater than anything you would ever imagine. And so my hope and my prayer for all of you is this. Don't let it stop of just three minutes sitting here in silence going, God, who am I? Continue to pursue this and ask him every day whether you're way far along down the path and you think you're pretty darn clear on who God has created you to be or whether you have no idea. We all still need to hear from God. God, who am I and what are you calling me to? What is this new life that you've led me into? And how do I step into that to experience that? So don't stop just with three minutes of silence today. Start your morning with it. Do it in the afternoon. Find time to seek God and just say, God, I'm going to sit in front of you in silence. I'm going to ask, who am I? Reveal it to me. And as we close, the last thing that I want to make sure we're incredibly clear on is this. There is nothing I have done or you have done or any one of us will ever do to deserve this new life. This new life is defined by Christ in his gift. It's defined by God's love for us and the gift of his son. And the one and only way that we ever get to experience it is because of what we celebrated last week. And it's because of Christ's amazing sacrifice for us. And that's what defines us. And that's what gives us this opportunity. So as we close, what I want us to do is just move into a time of worship to thank him and to praise him and to honor him for the new life that he offers us and that he gives us. So if we would move into that band, if you would lead us in that.